Hello, my babies, and welcome once again to Poker in the Ears. I am your Uncle Daddy. I am Joe Stapleton. He is my work wife. He is James Hardigan. Happy World Bratwurst Day, Joe. Appropriate, considering how much sausage we know you love to consume. Yeah, it's like a hot dog, but for rich people. Coming up on <laughs> today's show, we are back for season seven, eight. How, how how the TF long have we been doing this show? I, I wouldn't mind, but you ask me this question every August, and the answer has not changed. 2015. We started doing this podcast in 2015. The answer does change. The number of years we've been doing it has changed, and I'm bad at counting years. So 2015 and 2016 is one year. 16 is 17, too. Joe, Joe, we've got a lot to get through. You can't be doing this now. Okay. All right. Well, I feel like even though uh, we've been doing this a while, we have finally leveled up, not because we won an award a couple years back for this but because james and i have crossed the threshold we've 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 broken our virginity as it is james and i have both played the world series of poker main events it is true it happened it was a thing there is pre-main event james and joe and now there's post-main event james and joe we are legit now and you may have heard dribs and drabs of what our main event experiences were like, but now, today, it is time to spill our entire guts about our Vegas shenanigans this summer. Speak for yourself. I'm going to redact a few things. Really? I'm, well, yeah, I guess it's probably for the best. Uh, I guess we've also got the little matter of our first guest back for season seven, eight, nine, whatever it is, um, who did not go on to win the World Series of Poker main event. We did get a fellow by the name of Daniel Wyman to agree to do the show. Yes. Uh, but he came to us late last night, said he was feeling a little burnt out on all the media and needed to take a break. And I told him, no, F you. No. Um, of course, I said no such thing. I genuinely felt bad for the guy, which is weird. Because um, if you think about it, um, isn't that the dream, James, of winning $12 million is that you get to tell everyone in your life that, fuck you, I'm going to do whatever I want? Absolutely. <laughs> so so uh, Daniel did back out for now. We're going to get him eventually, I think, if we if he's still relevant in a couple of months, which I think he will be. I mean, he'll uh, be the reigning champion for the next 11 months. So, yeah, I think he has relevance. Exactly, yes. But we did want to make sure we got someone who was relevant to the main event, who had a good main event story, and this particular someone is someone we wanted to have on the show for a long time now anyway. So I hope you'll be pleased with Daniel's replacement. We're getting the main event's 87th place finisher, Nate Silver. And just to be clear, that is 87th place from a field of 10,043 unique players. This is the biggest World Series of Poker main event of all time. To finish in the top 100, having outlasted nearly 10,000 people is no yeah. small achievement. Not at all. And Nate's been uh, Nate's been becoming more and more of a poker player over the years. If you guys don't know, Nate's one of the leading experts on statistics and probability, specifically when it comes to predicting elections. Uh, he is a bona fide expert in his field, and I am pumped to finally chat with him on the show. Uh, not only did we play the main this year, but we also managed to squeeze in a little bit more poker. Uh, I played Run Good at Sacramento in late July uh, and in a very ridiculous home game at Maria Ho's house uh, just last week that I'll be telling you guys about in just a few moments. And James, you're going to play some more poker this summer as well, right? Straight after Barcelona. More on that later. Um, now, Joe, do you remember 
a few months back, we had a super fan called Ross Lambert who had to drop out for personal reasons. I do remember Ross dropping out. I don't remember the movie as much. Yes, the movie is Rush. They're not the band, the movie, the cars, <laughs> Thor, Baron Zemo. That will be the superfan subject. Ross is coming on the show, and he is going to finally get his chance to win some prizes. Now, on the subject of superfans, we do have that dedicated channel on the PokerStars Discord server where people apply to come on the show, and there is a link to that Discord server in the podcast description. All I will say is if you go to the effort of applying, and thank you for doing so, please, please, please stay across Discord and specifically stay across your DMs. Yes, Harry Mansell, I'm talking to you. Can you do <laughs> next week or not? Uh, have got people lined up for the coming weeks, but next week is still a question mark. Uh, what's Harry's subject? Do you remember off the top of your head? It is the movie The Town, the Ben Affleck movie. Ooh, I've been wanting to rewatch that. Okay, I'm actually kind of excited about that one. Um, And, yeah, uh, on the subject of movies, yeah. James, my summer has been fucking stupid. I have been home, I think, since Monte Carlo. I think I've been home, like, a grand total of, like, maybe 14 or 15 days. Um, it's It's been wild. So I haven't had a ton of time for watching stuff. Especially I know at least two yeah. things you've seen because we watched them together. Yes, we so went we to get... the cinema to see Mission Impossible and we went to the cinema to see Barbie. That's right. And we got to uh, a brief Mission Impossible talk. No spoilers, obviously. Uh, but, uh, James, you and I both rate this movie about as highly as you can rate a summer blockbuster, right? Yes, I, I would not rate it as high as Fallout. I think that the Mission Impossible franchise has just got continuously better over the years but i think it reached peak with fallout i think this has come down a notch but just a notch and i'm not taking anything away from the fact that this is a superb action movie i i agree with that that it's not as good as fallout but i think fallout is like a once in a lifetime sort of action movie that to, to hold something to the fallout standard is almost impossible so like i would give fallout like a six stars out of five stars and yeah and and this one like a four and a half out of five stars, uh, so yeah, Mission Impossible loved it. We also uh, did see Barbie together. Yeah. So I know you've seen Barbie because I was in the same cinema as you. Albeit... I didn't see all of Barbie. Yes, you were <laughs> horrifically jet lagged and did sleep through a good forty to fifty minutes of it. But my question to you is: Have you seen the other half of the Barbenheimer double bill? Have you seen Oppenheimer? I have not had a chance to see Oppenheimer yet. No, um, it, to to have escaped my life for more than three hours, including travel time to and from the cinema, was just not has not in the cards for me. Yeah. Yet. So I have seen it, and it is a masterpiece. And so it is. I just have nothing but praise to heap on it. So how much? I mean, can I watch this movie at home without doing a massive disservice to the movie? Do I have yes. to see this in the theater? No. No, you can appreciate you can appreciate okay. its artistry without needing to see it on the big screen. I'm not one of those purists who feels that films have to be seen in the cinema. Look, I think most people would say that a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 you should see in theaters. I didn't. I watched it at home. And I'm glad I did because I did not know that it's centered around animal cruelty and that I was going to be crying through 70% of it. Yeah, I mean, look, so I was really weird the weekend. I, I was, did manage to have one weekend at home this summer, like a Friday through Monday entirely, and we had a couple of friends from out of town visit, and it was kind of like we were doing, like, 
I don't know. It was just everyone was kind of on different schedules. People were like drinking and falling asleep and people were staying up late and going to bed early. And so I ended up watching Guardians 3 probably three times over the course of this weekend because I would start it with someone who hadn't seen it yet. And then that person would fall asleep and then someone else would come in the room and I'd be like, let's start it over. And I... Never got sick of it. I, I think this is a movie that does have multiple viewings in it. And yes, by the time I finally got to the end of it, uh, because we started it so many times, I was, and this was, I saw it in the theater. Uh, by the time we got to the end of it, I was a blubbering, blubbering mess by the end of Guardians 3. I managed to not cry throughout most of it, but it all finally hit me. At the end, and it's a movie I could probably watch again. Still, I've probably seen it three times at this point, and it's, I would watch it again. I'm not sure I would want to watch it again. What I will say is, it's the only decent thing I've seen come out of the Marvel Studios machine for a long, long time. I did not make it, for example, through a single episode of Secret Invasion. It's that bad. Wow, I, I haven't attempted Secret Invasion yet, but I knew that this didn't really have anything to do with that. So, yeah. uh, okay, well, t- there's one movie I think I got to see in the theaters this summer that I wasn't with you, and that was Across the Spider Verse. Yeah, I haven't and seen that. I feel the same way about Across the Spider Verse that I felt about uh, the new Mission Impossible, which it didn't quite hit me as hard as the first one, but I'm not sure you can possibly achieve that a second time that's fair. um given that you know we we sort of but it it it, ex- it exceeds the original in many ways i won't give any spoilers there it's pretty fucking great movie um and then i just wanted to tell everyone about a little gem that i watched that got pretty bad reviews um and kind of flew under the radar radar but renfield the uh the comedy where nicholas holt plays uh, the familiar of Nicolas Cage's Dracula is very funny and a little bit heartwarming and has great action in it. And it's like violent, but in a funny way. I, you know, I don't like super realistic violence. This is quite violent. And this movie was an absolute gem. I'm really glad that I watched it at home and didn't skip over it because it didn't really, it didn't really do great, but it's certainly worth watching. And, James, have you had the chance to is justified the new justified series come out? Doesn't come out till September. So all I'll say about this is unfortunately this is plagued by the same thing that's that a lot of the streaming stuff. Now, do you remember when this was first announced? Was it announced as a movie? I thought it was going to be a movie and then I think it's become like a mini series now. Yeah, so I the five episodes have aired so far. Um, and I think there's at least one more. Uh, I'm hoping there's only one more because this is the same thing, man. I hate to say it, as much as I love Raylan Givens, as much as I love the Elmore Leonard verse, it's too many episodes. This the story yeah. just Someone's doesn't quite. Yeah, it just doesn't quite maintain what it takes to be a, a six hour long thing. So I'm a little disappointed in it. Um, it, it the, the parts that are good are very good, but it's just a little bit too long. So. So I take uh, it you haven't seen the second season of The Bear? I have not gotten to the second season okay, of The we'll, Bear yet. We'll part that because we yeah. need to discuss that down the line. Um, the Diplomat I enjoyed. I think Silo is brilliant, by the way, on Apple TV+. Plus. So, so yeah. So you've been recommending The Bear and The Silo pretty hard. The Silo, like I'm 100 years old. <laughs> uh, Silo pretty hard uh, for the last few weeks. And I've been meaning to start something new. So here's what happened. I go to this crazy Maria Ho game. 
and guess who's there but Damon Lindelof. Okay. And I don't know if you remember, but Damon was part of, like, my first real yes. – one of my first real Hollywood home game experiences. And I'll just briefly retell the story because it's worth mentioning is that – so Sam Simon invited me to his house to play poker, told me it was a $200 buy-in. I didn't quite believe him, so I grabbed a stack of $800 out of my dresser drawer before I went, and it turns out I was right. Everyone was all in on the first hand for $200. What I was wrong about was I had two stacks of money in my drawer when I left, and I grabbed a stack of $80 and not a stack of $200. And what ended up happening was is I won a hand really early on and like basically won the biggest pot of my life. And I was like, shit, I could just lock it up now and leave with a profit, or I can be a fun player in a fun game and sort of splash around a little bit. So long story short, I end up losing $120 in the game total, which was the 80 in my pocket. And then I was 40 short and I ended up owing the $40 to Damon Lindelof, who was like, eh, don't worry about it. I was going to say, I doubt he remembers that you own $40 after He doesn't, years. but he went on to win an Emmy for Watchmen with my former roommate, Cord Jefferson. And so I gave Cord the $40 last time I saw him and said to give it to Damon. So I see Damon in this game. I tell him about Cord. I tell him how we played together 10 years ago. And he said, Cord never gave me the money. Huh? So uh, more on the game in a second. So, But during the game, we're like, stop to have like a food break. We're all eating pizza. And I think about Damon for a second. I start to feel bad for him because I'm like, holy shit, Damon Lindelof lives in a world where he's never gotten to watch Lost, he's never gotten to watch The Leftovers, and he's never gotten to watch Watchmen. I'm sure he watched them multiple times while they were in post-production. Yes, but you know what I mean. Like, yes, he I know what you never mean. got to yes. experience three of like what people regard to be three of the greatest TV shows that ever existed. Just, so just remind like, me, just remind me, this is the guy who's responsible for Star Trek Into Darkness, right? Well, he was the first one. I don't know about the second one, but the okay. first one, for sure. I, I don't remember if he was uh, had response for the second one. Look, he's, there's been some things that are regarded as clunkers along the way, for sure. Um, so I was like, hey, Damon, like, what's your lost? Like, what's your leftovers? Like, what, what really grabs you that way? And he goes, I really like this show called Silo. Oh, wow. So I was like, holy shit, Harding has been trying to get me to watch Silo. Let me watch Silo. And so uh, my girlfriend and I started watching Silo on the plane. I'm at my parents' house right now in New York on the plane out here. And we've been, like, pretending to go to bed early every night so that we can keep watching Silo. Nice. Because we are so into it. And it does – look, it is a little slow. It's not as bad as some of the other shows out there. The story does advance a little bit here and I there. I didn't find it a particularly bingeable show because I found it also just quite – it's it's not it's not exactly a happy experience. It's quite it's quite downbeat. It's a little grim, but I think that they're like you know one of the main themes in it is hope, and uh, so I think that you know. It, but the mystery of it all and the sci-fi of it all, I, yeah. I find to be really interesting. So yeah. I'm into Silo. Good good recommendation, James. Okay, so talk about this game briefly. Bearing in mind that everyone has kind of downloaded the show, expecting to hear about the World Series of Poker Main event, and you're talking about chatting Fine. to Damon Lindelof at Maria Ho's home game. Well, I mean, there was a far more pleasant experience for me than the, the main event. We'll get to in a second. So oh, here's what actually, happened. You actually won a hand? 
Yes, I did. I won several hands in this home game. So uh, Daryl Morey, who's like the president of basketball for the Philadelphia 76ers, is a friend of ours from Zoom Pandemic Home Games. Daryl was in town, and he wanted to bring Joel Embiid to play at Maria's house. And Maria's like, Stapes, I'm in London. I'm working on Triton. You got to play in this game. Um, It's fun, first of all, but I think you're a favorite in the game. You got to play in it. And I'm like, what are the stakes? And she's like, it's 5-10-20. Wow, that's high. That is very high. Yes. And and so I'm like, so what do I I need to sit in this game, Maria, do you think? And I'm hoping she'll say $25,000. Sorry, $2,500. And she goes... Probably 5K. I was going to say, you're looking at five grand minimum, buddy. And Because Joel's the kind of guy who it's 5, 10, 20, but then he just makes it 600 pre-flop. And if you have a hand like Ace-King, you got to just jam on Joel, and he'll call you a 3-5 offsuit, and you got to hope it holds. Yeah. Um, and she's like, look, I'll take 60% of you in this game if you want to go play in it. And not only is Joel Embiid playing in it, but Lil Dicky's going to come play in the game too. Should I know and- who that is? Uh, your little Dickie's a rapper. He's got a show on on uh, Hulu slash FX here called Dave, which I think has been nominated for multiple Emmys. It's like I'm, it's like regarded in the same vein as as the Bear, as being like okay. uh, like a really good comedy. Um, so Lily Dick, little Dickie's supposed to play in the game too. Luckily, and I guess also a bit manage expectations. Joel did not end up playing in the game. Therefore, little Dickie did not end up playing in the game. Therefore, the game played five five, and it ended up being. Daryl Morey, Damon Lindelof, Beth Hall, who's been a guest on the show, uh, Danny Zucker, who you guys know is my friend, our mutual friend Michelle, who's an entertainment lawyer, uh, Maria's boyfriend played in the game, and luckily I did win in this game. Unfortunately, every single hand I won was against Daryl, who is a really sweet guy, and I he's brought, I don't know. I don't want to beat anyone in any game, to be perfectly honest. Um and I did. I bought in for uh, I bought it for five hundred and cashed out. Sorry, I bought it for a thousand and cashed out for eighteen hundred. I was the big winner in the game. And uh, also, just one last thing is, uh, you know, when we were when we were talking TV, I was like, Damon, please, please tell me, please tell me, what do you think of the show Patriot? And he's like, Patriot is an all time great. So we've got great taste. We share some of the taste with some of the taste makers. That uh, exists in this world, and that was the most. That was the that was the only non-miserable poker experience I had this summer. Um, I did play some poker in Thunder Valley at a Run Good Stop. And quick story there: it was a meetup game where I bought him for five hundred dollars, and I ran it up to like sixteen hundred. And then uh, as the night went on, and you can tell me what you think of this play, these plays, James. As the night went on, I got like a little looser and. Right. I was kind of willing to gamble a little bit. I pocket jacks and it, uh, sorry, pocket queens, uh, and it, uh, it went like raise, call, call, call. And so there's like four people in the pot, and I decided uh, to just to just jam. Go for it, um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, a guy sat there forever, and he was like, oh, man, he's like, I feel like – He's like, I feel like if I if I fold here, you're just gonna show me like eight five offsuit or something. And as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, I'm fucked. And uh, he called with Ace Jack and uh, spiked the ace, so I lost about uh, half my stack there. So now I'm down to eight hundred dollars. And uh, same exact situation happens. Early position raises. There's like four callers. I have Ace King suited. I jam the Ace King suited. I get looked up by two nines. 
and uh, I missed the entire board, and I am now felted down to zero. So, terrible poker situation there for me. You t- you, you take over the reins well, here, because I, I know you I- had a better poker experience this summer than I did. Let's turn our attention to Vegas. Let's turn our attention to the World Series of Poker main event and present this as a shit sandwich, right? Because you're right. I had a good experience. Nate's going to join us. He had a good experience making the top 100. And in the middle of it, we'll have your kind of like negativity. But to, <laughs> to lead with the positivity, look, I did not win anything. Quite the opposite. I had losing session after losing session, bad beat after bad beat. But I also had a shit ton of fun. Um I think we knew going into this that the mistake I was making was flying into town too late. Yeah. I think arriving the day before you play uh, for any tournament is a mistake, especially one which is going to potentially last 10 days and is going to involve 12-hour playing days. But that was the only way I could make it work, and I knew what I was letting myself in for. So um, what was your sleep schedule that night? Like, So you got in what? You got in the evening, right? 7 or 8 p.m. or something? And it wasn't too bad, and the next day I was fine. It's always the second night that gets you. So jet yeah. lag did catch up with me down the line, but... That first day, so flying in on the Wednesday, registered at the cage, paid the $10,000, then came in on the Thursday to play day 1D. And in a way, I know we're going to get to your story in a moment, and we are going out of of sequence here because you played day 1C. I actually think that it would have been nicer if we'd played the same day. I think if we'd both been on on day 1D, the buzz, the atmosphere around day 1D... There was something, I think, that was different to any other starting flights. That being said, I know there was a lot of fear that Day 1D might be so oversubscribed that they would play 10-handed. But actually, there were tables to spare, and they played 9-handed. And I was very fortunate to have a really good table, a really like-minded, fun people, and all of us basically just spent the entire day chatting um obviously within two minutes of me sitting down i'd say that there were three players at the table who recognized me by face and then within 15 minutes everyone else had recognized me by voice and in vegas this is still a relatively new experience for me yeah. it happens at card rooms in europe especially in the uk but there was a time when i could go to vegas and still have a degree of anonymity that has gone and i'm not complaining it's really nice i enjoy meeting fans um i guess the fact that the ept is now showing on fox sports on friday nights the fact that we've just done so much content over the last few years all the streams we did during the pandemic you know there's a lot of stuff too james that we're unaware of is that you know there's a lot of and i don't think it's necessarily bad there's a lot of poker stars content that gets ripped off right and is is shared in short form whether it's on tiktok or whether it's on instagram or facebook and our voices, people don't necessarily even know who we are when they watch these clips. People really fell into some poker YouTube and uh, social media rabbit holes during the pandemic. So I think that we've gotten a much wider reach over the last few years, too. I think that is true. But anyway, so we had an, a really fun day. And as far as the poker is concerned, you know, I was providing and I was trying not to go too heavy on the updates on social media. I basically just did a very brief summary at the end of each two-hour level. And normally, I was only playing two or three hands per level. I was playing premiums only, and I wasn't getting carried away with them. I was just flatting raises with jacks or flatting in position with ace-king and playing through the streets and trying to play, for want of a better phrase, 
small ball hold'em. And what I was finding is that that strategy was paying off. My stack was going up incrementally every single level and making a decent kind of profit at the end of each two-hour session and was above average for pretty much all of day one. And to coin common poker parlance, found a bag at the end of day one, bringing, I think, 82K from a starting stack of 60K into... Uh, day Not just two. finding a bag, but profitably finding a bag. So starting day two with a bigger stack than you would have had had you registered for day two. Correct. And all I will say is that strategy of playing quite conservatively and playing kind of premiums, playing quite tight, worked because I was just enjoying myself at the table and enjoying the conversation, the banter and the atmosphere and the experience of playing in the biggest poker tournament of my life. Maybe if time. I was, yeah, and if, if, if I was at uh, a table that didn't have that atmosphere, maybe it would have been tougher. But again, I get lucky on day two as well. By the way, there was a rest day, right? Because even day two has two starting flights. So on the Friday, it's day two for everyone who played ABC. My day two, day two, day two D is on the Saturday. So on the Friday, I have a day off. And again, went out on Friday night, which probably was not GTO, but I don't give a fuck. Um... Came into day two, again, great table, great lineup, um, same strategy or not dissimilar strategy to day one until we get halfway through the day. And now my stack is closer to 50 big blinds than 100 big blinds because I had more than 100 bigs at the start of the day. And obviously kind of like make the dinner break but come back with just around 50 big blinds, lost a pot, then found myself with 45 big blinds and end up being all in for the first time in the entire poker tournament with Kings. Unfortunately, my opponent has aces and they hold. And look, I do not feel the need to justify getting it in pre with sub 50 bigs with Kings. But there were some people on the internet who felt Ugh. the need to tell me that that is not Fucking what you should be doing. Idiot um, who gives a shit. Yeah. But what? here's what's really weird. That is, you know, I played... Two pretty long days with nothing to show for it. They didn't make the money till day four. Um, I was completely zen at the point that I busted because I just enjoyed every second. I just had a blast playing in this. And or I came away with my commemorative card protector, which says I was one of the 10,043 playing in the biggest ever WSOP main event. Quick story on that. I forgot to get mine. I just want to give a quick shout out to Kev Math, who mailed me one. That was really nice of him to do. So I ended up getting one also. Thank you, Kev Math. I appreciate it very much. And I appreciate all that you do. Go on, James. So I stayed in Vegas for a bit longer than I originally planned to. Um, I did play a bit more poker. I played at daily at Caesars, which I did not enjoy. And uh, guess what? It was aces versus kings again. Only this time I had the aces. They spiked a king <laughs> on the river. Um, I lost every pie gal session I played. I lost every crap session I played. Um, I played a cash session at the horseshoe. Uh, this is a familiar story because exactly the same thing happened to me when we were in Vegas in March. Played 1-3 no limit. Lost a couple of hundred bucks. Did have an amazing table, though, with a guy called Stoney from Texas. Uh, when I saw, you know when you swipe in you with, your, with your rewards card, right? The name is displayed on the table. So I see it's down as Stoney in seat four. And I went, I'm assuming that's a nickname. Nope. No. Stoney's opening gambit when he realized I was from London was to ask if we have indoor plumbing in London. Was and, I'm sorry, was that an earnest question or was that a little bit of a... I don't 
no. Okay. He then proceeded to ask about potentially visiting London, and he then was interested in seeing, like, the beaches of Normandy and was wondering how you get from, like, London to France. And Okay, recommend- so he knew that Normandy wasn't in England. Correct. Okay. However... When I recommended that if he wants to do a European trip, maybe come to London, see the Tower of London and some other sites, then take the Eurostar to Paris, maybe stay a couple of nights in Paris and then go and see Normandy, he was stunned to learn that there's a train that runs from London to Paris, at which point the dealer said, dude, have you not seen Mission Impossible? I was like, I guess that's that's a frame of reference for a lot of people, uh, that that train exists. Um, I'm not <laughs> going to say everything that Stoney said at the table, because it's not suitable for broadcast. All I will say is that Stoney wants to tell little Johnny jokes. Dirty Johnny. Dirty Johnny jokes. Oh, he called him little Johnny. Okay, yeah. This is, yeah, this is a, this is like a street joke where it's usually like a teacher is talking to the class. Yes, correct, correct. Dirty Johnny says something awful. And I basically tried to kind of set up and say, look, look, Stoney, before you start, can you please promise me that the joke you're about to tell is in no way homophobic, misogynistic, or racist? And he went, can't do it, but then kept going <laughs> and told the joke. Now, he was midway through the joke when the action was on him. And obviously, he's holding up the game, and everyone's getting a little bit impatient, especially the dealer, um, pointing out that it's $18 to call. And because he's still trying to tell the joke while he's fiddling around with his chips, the dealer says... I'll give you the $18 myself if you promise to stop telling this joke. <laughs> By the way, shout out to all the dealers at the horseshoe who all knew who I was, all were fans, all kind of said very nice things. There was one dealer in particular who, bless him, was such a fanboy and wanted to tell me how much he loved Shark Cage that basically he was a little bit distracted, maybe was not on his A game and had to be rotated out early. Oh, no. Um... But yes, that was a fun table, and Stoney and I connected after a while. We found we we got beyond our political differences, and he was he was he was he was a solid guy. But yeah, that was a losing session. And last but by no means least, a six hundred dollar tournament at Aria. Beth Hall was playing in that one. Uh, Matt was playing in that one. Uh, I was doing fine in that until again get to that kind of funky stack territory where it's kind of like. You know, maybe it's a rejam spot and kind of got it in with eights against fives and there was a five on the floor. Oh, so, man. Yeah. But I am not complaining. Right. Because it was an awesome Vegas trip. Lost a lot of money. Don't care. Had a blast. And despite the fact that every poker session I've had has had a negative impact on my financial situation, I will be playing more poker next month. I will be going to UKIPT Brighton, which happens straight after Barcelona. Going to go to Brighton on the Thursday, which I think is the 7th of September. I've roped Finton and Spraggy into helping me with a meetup game. We're going to have some low-stakes cash tables running. I'm going to play the main event on the Friday. And if that doesn't work out, I will play the Cup on the Saturday. So I'm basically in it for the whole weekend in, in UKIPT Brighton. I feel like you're going to have a fairly deep run at something in UKPT Brighton. I feel like you uh you're you're just kind of getting in the swing of things. I think you're going to I think you're going to the freaky Friday situation. Unfortunately, now we're both in the uh in the basement of of how we run at poker. Yes. Um because uh you didn't run so great in Vegas. You had a great time though, and I'm very happy to hear that. When you busted out on day 2, I was super concerned and you were couldn't have been in a better mood to be honest, uh, having just busted the main event. So, I was really happy for you. I look, I had a pretty miserable main event experience. 
there's no other way to put it. I, I'm I had a good time in Vegas. A lot of good things happened to me while I was there. I just can't word it any other way. Um, look, it was it's a funny story. I flew in too close to the start of the main event myself. However, you live um, like forty minutes away, dude. Exactly. So I flew in. I landed at like nine o'clock in the morning. I went straight to uh, straight to the horseshoe to register because I wasn't sure if it was going to be funky. I won my way in through a charity event. I really didn't know how to register for that. There were some problems uh, getting me registered. It took about an hour and a half, uh, but still plenty of time for the start of the day. And, um, you know, you knew that I was nervous going in. Uh, Not even nervous, dreading it. We obviously recorded the podcast just before our summer break, right, where we spoke to Lon McCarran, and I kind of felt that he had kind of turned things around slightly in your head, and maybe you were now approaching it with more positivity. I just, in a way, and this is why uh, another reason why I think it would have been great if you'd waited till day 1D, because I just think you kind of like needed to acclimate or needed to kind of like postpone almost. Clearly, you were not in the right frame of mind, and... You almost kind of, I'm not saying it was a self-fulfilling prophecy because I know what you're about to tell informs how you felt about it, but you weren't exactly setting yourself up to have a great time. You didn't come in with high expectations. No, I didn't. Um, and, and I will say that my my attitude was much better at the start of the day. The problem is that when it comes to me in poker is that my positive mindset is a house of cards. And it's there, and it's built up, but it can be destroyed very easily. Right. And it was there at the start of the day, and it wasn't even destroyed by the fact that I sat down at the table and uh, Masato Yokosawa was sitting directly to my left, and Bart Hansen was sitting three to my right. Exactly. And again, just to go back to my table draw, not a single name player at my table. And that obviously is what you want to see on day one. And there was a guy two to my right who like wasn't a name player, but had like played a lot with Maria. Like it was really, you know, was a professional poker player also. And that didn't that didn't ruin my spirits either because I was like, of course you're gonna run in to tough players in the main event. Like I thought it was relatively unlucky that I got stuck with a couple of them at my table. Um. So, but that that was all fine. I I was my my dread had mostly turned into nerves at that point, which I think is reasonable. And sure. um, I uh, look, it, it was a very standard poker day for me and that I got dealt very few hands. I was in, which was fine. I was totally fine to fold Jack six and Jack four and Queen deuce yep. and King three for hours and hours. Um, I did eventually get pocket Queens, like maybe the second or third level. And, um, you know, at this point, I now is when the negativity kind of set in a little bit because I was like, oh, shit, I don't want to have to play pocket Queens. Uh, and I. Uh, I three bet pre-flop and had two callers, and the flop came uh, jack high. The flop came, I think it was uh, nine ten jack. The flop came, and you've uh, got an overpair to the board, and you got the open-ended straight draw. Better way, right? Exactly. And I C bet, and uh, Masato Yokosawa raised me on the flop, and the other fellow that I was just talking about, the guy whose name I didn't know, but I played with Maria, f- called. And I just, I just mucked two queens. I was like, I don't see how I'm ever good here. Like I'm just, and I folded two queens, and I was up against king queen and ace queen, and uh, Masato's ace queen suited ended up making a flush and running down the flop straight of the other guy. And then at this point, I'm like, oh, this is what I was afraid of. This is what I'm used to. 
pocket queens being insta insta out flopped by two inferior hands, two hands that I should have crushed. Um, blockers aren't real. And uh, so I was like, okay, cool. So that was like, whatever, a, 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 not a huge amount of my stack, but like it was a, a some amount, thousands of chips went in. And then the hand that really did me in was a hand where I had uh, pocket jacks. And again, James, maybe I should have just flatted the pocket jacks, but um, Masato raised under the gun and there were like two or three callers and I had jacks in the big blind and I really didn't want to go four or five ways to the flop with two jacks. And so I three bet pretty big and Masato called and the flop came eight, eight, five. And I uh, continued and Masato raised me and I'm like, okay, well, I can't fold two jacks on this flop. Uh, turn was an ace. It went check, check. River, I bet small, uh, hoping that I said if I bet small here and maybe I can sometimes get called, uh, just called here by a hand that beats me, obviously. Um, and Masato jammed on me after tanking for a couple of minutes. And I folded two jacks and he showed me two fives. He'd flopped a full house. Wow. Fives full of ace. Uh, and then my that was it. Like I... I had uh, a short stack after that that I folded and folded and folded and folded and eventually shoved ace-king and ran into aces because blockers are, again, very real. And that was the end of my main event run. Uh, run is my main event walk, my three steps in the main event. So to put things into perspective, though, about three-quarters of the way through the day at 9 p.m., Bart texted me this. By the way, and I had a great time chatting to Bart. I really enjoy Bart. I think Bart does great content. I think Bart's a fantastic commentator. I always like what Bart does. And and Bart and, to be and, and, a, and a very solid player as well. Really good player. And I like him personally because Bart and I were basically up for the job on the big game at the same time. And Bart could have a chip on his shoulder toward me. Bart could be a dick, and he's not. Bart's always treated me very, very well, and I respect the hell out of him. So at 9 o'clock, Bart te texted me this. This might be the wildest day one main event table I've played at, and I've played this event 14 times. This draw is unlucky, high variance, in quotation marks. Yeah. And I said, I was wondering what you'd have to say about that. I thought it was just me being a wuss. And he said, nah, this is a shitty draw. But the thing is, you get so many chips in this event, you can just kind of escape out of the day or get moved. It's all about managing your table draw in these things. And that's it. Like I, I, about about midnight, I went broke. I, I think twelve fifteen. Bart Bart texted me something else about our table, so I, I made it almost to the end of the day. Yeah, you you. I think it was during the last level of the day because I just seen you because I just arrived and just registered for the following day. I got the the sense though that you're almost relieved when you went out. I was relieved because I was just getting getting beat up so bad all day, and you know it was one of those situations where I never again. I'm used to this when I play. I never had a hand. Like I only ever. Um, you know, had really tough spots with one pair. Uh, there was one hand where I flopped a flush, and I think I got like a fold on the turn or something. But other than that, I didn't make any straights. I flopped yeah. no sets. I had I had no two pairs. I had no anything. So I, I guess I was kind of relieved. And part of the reason that I didn't play day 1D with you was because my plan was to leave Vegas um, when I busted and go home because I had so little time at home this summer. But it turned out that I had so much other stuff going on in Vegas, people I never get to see, a couple of meetings I wanted to take that I ended up having to stay in Vegas, and I'm glad I did. Really quick, I know we're running out of time in this segment. Um, 
I did. I was kind of like in a bad mood. So I went to meet Maria at Bellagio afterward. And Maria was playing a high limit uh, blackjack with Arden Cho. And they ended up switching to high limit roulette. And I watched Arden Cho win about $150,000 playing Holy roulette. Holy shit. In the span of about 15 minutes. It was like seven, eight, nine spins in a row where she hit her number. Um and so that was cool. And then I went on to hit a bunch of slots. After they left, I was like by myself, hit two taxable slots, ended up staying out all night with some friends from Vegas. Best part of the story is this. When I got to Vegas, I left my, my bags in Brandon's room because I didn't have time to check into a hotel. Well, go to my friend's house where I was going to be staying. My bag stayed in Brandon's room. I got there on a Wednesday. I didn't get my bags out of Brandon's room till Friday afternoon. <laughs> so I wore the same clothes. That's how much fun I had after busting the main event as I was around Vegas. Didn't even get my bags until Friday afternoon. So whatever. I did it. It's over. Probably never again. Ultimately, Joe, day one, day two, neither of us managed to cash in the World no. Series of Poker main event. So first of all, congratulations to everyone who did make the money, including our guest today, a guy who made the top 100 in this 10,000-plus player field, earning nearly $100,000. Please welcome to the podcast, Nate Silver. Hello, Nate. Hey, guys. Thanks for rounding that up, that 93K to 100K. <laughs> I'll take the extra 10K for sure. Was it uh, was it a little bit of a bummer to not hit that extra little sixth digit? I mean, the way I bust this, the main event, and I busted it um, with middle set versus top set after having just basically doubled. So I thought I was like, going to have 11 million chips in the main event for a split second. And then the one hand that beats me gets turned over. And I use my one time for uh, to, you know, get the quad six. The other player uses his one time to prevent that, which I thought was oh. like a big move. Uh, he's like 96% to win. He one times uses his one time. Um but no, it bricked out, and then, you know, you bust them in event in the top 100, they give you, like, a little round of applause, and uh, then started having some uh, some drinks and karaoke with people. It was it was all good. You were at the feature table for a decent amount of the kind of last couple of days you played, right? Yeah, I think they, I mean, the thing about the main event, the biggest main event ever, is, like, if you have 10,000 people and you're down to 100 or 200, there are not that many, like, super well-known players yeah. right um so i don't think i'm like a headline name but i think i'm a, like a good secondary name it's like oh here's someone we really want to show on tv and and nate silver can be like the other name right i um, i feel like that not to, not to be insulting but you're like a novelty name right you're like oh shit nate silver yeah like i got a i got a big twitter or x i guess following and like uh <laughs> yeah but like i've been on tv for like elections and things like that and kind of been in the public spotlight so to me i felt like being um being on tv was an advantage in terms of um you know feeling like the pressure would help me more than like a amateur player or a good player who like just hadn't been on tv before um but but yeah so i was feeling like super comfortable just poker wise how i was playing but then you know uh poker is a game of risk Sometimes you make a set and the other player has a better hand and that's how it went. See, you are a person who's used to receiving a lot of public criticism for better or for worse. I mean, you get it with both barrels all the time. So I would be very nervous about playing on a live stream because I am not as used to receiving that sort of criticism. You're saying that you weren't really bothered by that. 
No, because I've taken so much shit from so many people for so long about so many things. That <laughs> I, I, I think I have, I think I have very thick skin, and like I want to, I want people to see me as a poker player, right? It's a big part of my life and my kind of uh, my history. I kind of got into election forecasting via poker. I mean, I basically, you know, in the poker boom, kind of moneymaker years, quit my like boring consulting job to. Uh, grind out, you know, mid to high stakes, limit hold'em <laughs> cash games online. Um, and so it was a big turning point in my life. And like, I, I feel like people will understand me better if they understand like that I think like a poker player. Yeah, we want to, we'll get to that later. Go ahead, James. As a, as, a, as a former pro, Nate, obviously you've played the main event a number of times. Joe and I were saying it was our first experience, not for you. How many times have you cashed before? Never, no. So Wow, played- so this... This this was not just making the money, but a deep run. So you basically combined two achievements in one. Yeah, for sure. Um, because I was playing, you know, the opposite. I, instead of now, I mostly play no limit live uh, tournaments, right? You know, I wouldn't quite call myself professional, but I devote a chunk of my life to it, right? And before, I was like a online cash limit player, so everything was different about it. And of course, this is like two thousand four, five, oh six. Um, so I've kind of had to like relearn the game in certain ways. Some of the poker instincts carry over, some don't as much. But like, yeah, I think it's like only been like um, a couple of times when I played the main event where I was like at the level where I think I was like substantially plus CB. It's a very soft tournament, right? Um, but no, for sure. Like I was, I was sweating the the cash, the bubble pretty hard, right? Um, yeah. It's a long, most of it's just like a long time to play poker, right? You play day one C, then day off, play day two, day off, day three. We think we're going to bust the bubble then. We don't. So you come back for day four. I'm like, if I like busts, I would just be so tilted about like the amount of hours I put in without yeah. without cashing. I don't know what they can do about that. I mean, it is like a big triumphal moment when when the field does um, cash, but it's a, it's a, it's a major time commitment, this the, event. The only solution is to speed up the early stages, which no one would want to do because it is one of the unique aspects of this that's why it's such a soft field is because it 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 gives you those two hour mega exactly 300 big blind levels yeah and i don't think anyone necessarily wants it to change so well we're going to play one hour levels on day one and then make it a little bit deeper you know in the late stages but yeah one of the kind of consequence of that is oh my god you got to play three long days before you even hit the bubble yeah i don't know if there's some tweak they could make where uh removing one level. I mean, look, it's, it's every other tournament is optimized for you get in and out in a couple of days. Right. And if you make day three of like a EPT or WPT, then, then you've run really deep. And so it's worth the, I the money. Schedule, yeah. Right. The main event, I really do think like I knew some guy who was like an observant Jew and like couldn't play on Saturdays. Right. And like, I seem kind of seems like a problem. Right. Or there was a, you know, hoodie Allen who kind of very admirably like flew back for his friends, like wedding and kind of missed, half a day right so I, I admire that as being like a good guy but still it's this is an event where if you block out the time and say I'm going to be in Vegas for the next 10 days no matter what there are other tournaments or other things to do like that mentality is really helpful if you like are kind of like the dine and dash mentality we're like oh I'll just kind of you know that that like that doesn't work yeah. you'll I, I had the dine and dash mentality. I was thinking about the same thing. I was like, holy shit, I could spend four days of my life in in Vegas doing this and still not even min cash this event. Like that was part of the dread I had going into it. 
I did have a question for you about your experience, which is that, I mean, look, you were top 100. You were uh, 87th place, which sounds really great. And then I hear $92,000, which also sounds kind of great. However, 87th out of 10,000, it almost feels like 92,000 should have been more. Um, What did you think of the payout structure in general? Yeah, I guess I'm probably like right on that shoulder where you get like affected by that a little bit. No, it, look, it's 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 too much money for first place. I think they kind of went for um, the gimmick of like the largest field ever, and and I think it should. I mean, I think you know, term structures in general should be flatter. Although, with that said, they did get ten thousand some people to play this tournament, and so maybe somebody did see that twelve k or twelve million rather, and we're like, okay, yeah, I'll take I'll take an extra shot here. Um, but I hope next year they'll kind of go back to the more organic structure and then when when they break the record it'll happen because they have thirteen thousand players and, and they get there organically and not trying to like um top up first place yeah more and more every year. Yeah. Um and again I don't want to keep laboring the point, but to finish in the top one hundred from a field of more than ten thousand is an incredible achievement. How long did it take you to overcome the disappointment of losing set over set and busting in a seventh place to realizing, holy shit, this is pretty, this is pretty decent stuff. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm not, ter- I mean, the thing is, look, I play a lot of poker and I play poker and I know how variance works in poker. And like, you're kind of like, you're kind of pinching yourself to, get there in the first place right i mean it wasn't like i had like won a bunch of like coolers or something i we just i just like been able to like avoid avoid difficult spots something that was very lucky right i won a huge hand on like day three or day four with set over set the other way where i had middle set and the guy had bottom set and that doubled me up and so you know i guess it was kind of like karma flipping back um karma flipping back around but i don't know i got back on my feet i played the um 10k six max like a couple of days later yeah you went like, pretty deep in that too right yeah i, I cashed um and that was good because that's like it's a, so that was for that event which might be the toughest event on the schedule except for like the super high roller stuff right um for that event having the i don't have any fucks to get attitude was like awesome right that's an event where you have to battle it's like the last major event it's a six max event and so you have to have like a bluffing frequency you have to have like a call down frequency and so for that event the mentality i think was kind of was kind of good for having like having no fucks left <laughs> to give um but yeah no it look it's a, it's something i'll always remember um something i could write about and and it's all good so you mentioned that you kind of got to where you finished in the main event by mostly avoiding uh really difficult spots did you run into recognizable pros on your way along this journey so this is the other way in which i got really lucky is that um i think i had really soft tables throughout the tournament um look with with the caveat that i think like the floor is increasing quite a bit right the average guy who was able to um play in a home game and do a little bit of studying right that player is often pretty decent and by the time you get to like day four or day five then you've like weeded out um most of the fish right but like i one day where it was day five maybe i think where like uh jason coon was at my table uh, <laughs> jeremy becker who's his kid who's won uh a bunch of events lately and one other like quite good pro um but jason coon like bust the second hand and then our table gets moved so that was like it was just that kind of like run good we're like oh my god finally i have a bad table and then it, it breaks up after after 20 minutes 
Do you, as a uh, fellow who does understand variance and understand statistics, obviously, how hard is it for you to bite your tongue at the table when you hear people saying things that are uh, like patently untrue? Or do you do you try to do you get involved in these conversations? Do you just sit there quietly um, thinking nonsense to yourself? Yeah, I'm try. I, I try to avoid poker strategy conversations at the table. <laughs> I really try to avoid politics conversations at the table you do get you do get a cross section of male middle-aged political opinion in in poker i think right oh yeah um but you know i, I look you don't want to i i try to be friendly i try to like make sure i have like proper change when i'm posting my empty and things like, just things like that i mean you never want to like you never want to like put a target on your back in a tournament right in general in tournament poker the game theory is that um you want to avoid confrontation other things being equal uh and because you know because you cash when you make money when when other people get in confrontations and, and one of them busts the tournament and you and you ladder up so i try to be um try to be pretty low-key try to keep like a pretty good vibe um you know try to gauge people's comfort levels a bit um and try to be observant and just kind of like and be engaged i mean the good thing about an event like the main event is that especially when you made it to like you know, even like late day two, but certainly day three and beyond is that like, it's very exciting. So you've like no problem, like actually being there in the moment, as opposed to like, checking your phone or thinking, wouldn't it be nice if I could bust and get a dinner somewhere, right? Um, you're very engaged. And 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 that's, that's helpful. Let's um, rewind a few years, Nate. So let's go back to you playing poker professionally, and then how you ended up working in stats, working in like election predictions. And uh, what what led... How did you leave poker and kind of transition into that? So I um, went to the University of Chicago. I graduated uh, in 2000. Jeez, I'm old. Um, and I had like a kind of standard issue consulting job at KPMG, which is a big, you know, economic consulting firm. Uh, didn't really like the job. At the time, I was young and going out a lot, right? Not really focused on work. I wound up building a... Um, forecasting system, a model to forecast how baseball players would do. Um, and at the same time, kind of the Chris Moneymaker boom happened. Uh, I had a friend at work who was like, we're going to start like a little cash game. Um, and I played poker in in college and stuff a bit. Um, and so I'm like, I'm going to like just practice for this cash game. I'm a competitive guy, deposited um, or didn't deposit, played like some free site like Yahoo Poker. And like free poker, I don't think really works. I'm not sure if that'll offend like the poker. I actually just saw you on Twitter saying just completely renouncing play money poker. It's sacrilege to play. It's just (laughs) profane to like play poker for money, play for micro stakes. But eventually, like deposited um, like 25 bucks. It was free, actually. It was like a free roll at like Pacific Poker for real money and kind of ran that up and busted it. Then deposited like 100 real dollars. And like that was like, you know, I think the, um, you know, ever since then, I've been plus in poker i think for for my lifetime um but it's hard to emphasize just how insanely soft the games were in the early kind of money maker poker boom era i like literally had like a laminated chart of like the all inequity of different hands which is not actually all that relevant necessarily if you're playing multi-street poker although it is limit poker right um and I would like kind of come home after going out to the bar and play and like and like still like win money at a pretty good clip. Uh, 
just because like it was it was insanely soft kind of like a, a gold rush like we may never see again i don't think in in poker. I, I rem- i'm i'm like cringing right now thinking about my playing during that same era and about how i used to play limit poker on pokerroom.com and i was like maybe like a hundred to $200 a week depositor. And I used to think that King six was my favorite hand and I lost. I'm the soft person. I am the, I am the person that you're talking about. That was like, just played any two cards and just thought what really matters is like the cards that hit on the flop. Like I am, I am that guy. I probably gave you money. No. And limit holdem is a game where like limit holdem is actually like a, a pre-flop game mostly right because it doesn't once you're once you're in the pot it doesn't take that much more money to show the hand down and like so you have to if you are off on your pre-flop ranges and limit you cannot make it up even if you're like goliath <laughs> post flop or something no. so, so, well i wasn't i was bad at all the streets okay yeah <laughs> um because if i look back at it now i would you know i think it was probably objectively like sort of bad i i think i was like way too putting in way too many bets post flop with um with mediocre hands but other players would too and like you just have things that are like capped every street and it's like top pair against top pair with a better kicker and you're like that cannot be gto correct but but nobody really knew and like i i, I think it was like actually like a very exploitative player um and you know i never i didn't really study the gto stuff until until years later when i wasn't a professional anymore yeah so if you uh, had your druthers, I mean, obviously you've gone on to be very successful, maybe the most successful person in your field, at least in the United States of America. Um, now, given the choice, would you be a professional poker player? Do you like doing what you do? Where would you go if you could just choose? I mean, I really like having poker as part of my life. Um, but, you know, I got enough of a taste. I'm working on this book project, which is about about gambling and risk. So the first quarter of the book is about poker. Um, and I've kind of gotten to live like half of that lifestyle. And I, I think it's actually like, it's a tough way to make a living. I know it's a cliche. Um, to make really good income at poker tournaments, at live poker tournaments, um, I'm not sure how many guys there are that can really do it in a practical way, right? There might be lots of players who are like, in theory, have like an expected value of earning a couple hundred thousand dollars a year um but if you model that out and they actually have like for the book i built some like simulations you're gonna have like a losing year if you play live poker tournaments like a lot like 40 percent of the time because it's it's so concentrated in the one time when you like bink fourth in the main event for like four million dollars right or an ept or wpt for for six hundred thousand dollars it's so dependent on those really big scores with how top heavy these fields are that like um, you know, the successful poker players I know have like a side hustle, like a coaching business or they're monetizing on YouTube or on streams um, to just kind of purely, or they're good cash players, um, to just kind of play poker tournaments for a living. I think you have to be like top 50 to top 100 in the world for that to be like a financially rewarding lifestyle, but also other ways it can be rewarding. I mean, I meet amazing people through through poker, right? It's nice to know that like, in principle, I think I'm plus CV in most events I play, right? So I get to I get to gamble and theoretically make money. So that's not such a bad lifestyle. Um, but it's like, if I had to like drop everything else and just be like a live turning poker pro, I mean, that would be, 
it'd be okay, but I'd be kind of coasting on the fact that I I can afford to you know have a losing year now and then. Right. Let's uh, let's talk more about the book. What's the, what is it? you said it's about gambling, but what is the thesis of this book? What points are you trying to make? So I say the central point is to try to introduce people to the weird people you encounter in all these different kind of nerdy fields that involve assessing risk. So poker, sports betting, and then it gets into stuff that's more in the category of like risk generally. It's like venture capital and crypto and and artificial intelligence. And what I found is like it's the same personality type, same way of looking at the world, field after field, person after person. Um, There's also some kind of history of like the gambling industry and what that is today. Um, You know, gambling is a subject that's like, it's not covered very well by the mainstream press, right? It's either like, either kind of believing in like these magical people that like can always get everything right instead of being probabilistic, or it's very like moralistic and and scoldy and you know mine's neither of those i understand how it like actually works i have talked to like lots of people in the industry and they've been pretty candid with me so yeah it's 75 percent about the kind of personalities in this field and 25 percent about like just a really good treatment of like the you know the modern day industries of gambling and poker and sports betting and everything else uh so, and when's the book coming out in principle it comes out next june uh yeah, great books Books have a way of getting delayed, and so, but sometime, sometime next year. I mean, I, I've written enough of it now. You're kind of, you're kind of over the hump, and it's going to get done, right? There's like sixty thousand words written, um, but sometime in 2024. I just asked for se- selfish reasons because I want to have you back on after the book comes out, so we can read it and we can talk more about what what's actually in there, if that's okay with you. Of course, no. I mean, I I love you know books are the GTO for books is that you do a big burst of publicity all at once right that's what the smart um marketing people all seem to say is like you just want to like kind of deluge people to the point where uh they're almost annoyed to see yeah. you but <laughs> happy to make make this part of that that run i just okay, love the in, in principle it'll be published next summer which is the classic i need to finish it first i need to finish it for i mean it's kind of again i i feel Look, I have a lot of things written. I, I like like a lot of writers. I write long, right? Things get complicated. I realized in the section like kind of the history of like the casino industry. Oh, I need probably probably I should mention something about Donald Trump, who is a famous casino mogul. Yes. Um, not a successful one, but famous. And like it's books came out in election year. I should probably mention the kind of most famous casino mogul of all time, right? And so like you know that adds like two thousand well researched and reported words and things like that. But like yeah. I keep I keep finding more to write about. So that's what's delaying it. All right. Excellent. Nate, uh I I we we were a little pressed for time here. I could talk to you about a million more things. Um right now I have to address a, a longtime dream of mine. Uh to get maybe the most famous stats guy of all time to weigh in on a round of race situations. Uh Nate, you're silver, you're aware of what a race situation is in poker, obviously. Yeah, where it's like two hands against one another, or that's yeah. right. Yeah, so one has the slight mathematical advantage. The fifty-one yeah. forty-nine, the fifty-one forty-nine. That's right. So, are you aware they also exist in real life? I can imagine there are close decisions. Sure. Okay, yeah. here we go. So, what I'm going to need you, Nate Silver, as part of our dumb game here, as a tradition on this show, uh, I'm going to need you to tell me which side of the following matchups has the slight mathematical advantage. And just keep in mind that out of these, there's also a hidden mystery domination situation, like a 70-30 
mixed amongst the bunch, okay? Okay, I'm not sure what I'm getting here, but I'll, I'll do my best. It, very easy. First one off the bat, Rio versus Paris Horseshoe. Which one has the slight advantage? Which one's the pair? Oh, uh, Paris Horseshoe, yeah. Paris Horseshoe, okay, here we go. Number two, Jeff Platt Curse versus a $50 bill. Which one has the slight mathematical advantage? I, I'm not sure if it's slight. I mean, the Jeff Platt curse is, is real, for sure. All right, he's giving it to Jeff Platt. Remember, there is a hidden domination in there somewhere. Arnold Schwarzenegger versus The Rock. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger follows me on Twitter for some reason, so I'll, I'll go with him. Okay, we'll take Arnold Schwarzenegger. Shoei Otani versus Mike Trout. Oh, Otani is like the maybe the best baseball player of, of all time. Okay. I mean, I'm not sure if anyone's ever been as valuable as maybe old school, you know, at least steroid-free baseball players. I think probably have. <laughs> <laughs> All right, really tough one coming up here. Malala versus Beyonce. Uh, Beyonce. Beyonce, slight edge of Beyonce. Daryl Morey versus James Harden. Uh, I'm friendly with Daryl, so I, <laughs> I, I have to, you know, I refuse myself. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta go Daryl there to myself. Twilight Zone versus Black Mirror. Uh, Black Mirror. Ooh. Ryan Reynolds versus Ryan Gosling. Oh, Gosling. I thought I thought he was amazing as uh, as Ken. Ooh, okay. We got a Ken fan here. Uh, famous Ray's Pizza versus Famous Original Ray's Pizza. Uh, this is like a trick question, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's not. I, I think, I think, I think Famous Original... Yeah, I, I don't know. Look, usually I tell people what the answers are here. I'm taking the answers from you. So whatever you say is right in this one, Mr. Mr. Prediction. I mean, there's lots of rays and famous and every permutation of that. I think I think to have the boldness to call yourself original is usually. <laughs> like I have a question. Kind of, I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Who is right? It, it's this long. It's this thing from New York City. I mean, they do have there's Ray's Pizza, famous Ray's Pizza and famous original Ray's Pizza. So um, it can get a little confusing. Uh, pancakes versus waffles. Uh, probably waffles. I'm not a big breakfast guy, actually. It's just the weirdest thing to not be. But like, I like, I kind of did don't... the uh, intermittent fasting thing before it was before it was cool. I was gonna say you probably don't get up in time for breakfast with the poker. I kind of get up kind of early, but like, no, it was a problem in, in the World Series poker. Is like, I just could not. So I kept going back and forth between New York and Vegas, and I was like. Getting up at like 10 New York time slash 7 Vegas time, which is like really suboptimal in like both places. Uh, and couldn't get out of that rut for, for a long time. James struggled with that stuff too as far as playing the World Series. All right, just a couple more left here. BTS versus Blackpink. Uh, I think I'm too old for that one. I'll go with BTS though. All right, BTS. The Signal and the Noise versus The Sound and the Fury. I mean, I'm, you know, please purchase the signal the noise. Uh, That's Nate's book. Buy, buy his book, his yeah. last book, and we'll plug the next one. Uh, quiet quitting versus acting your wage. Uh, I kind of have quiet quit before, so I'm going to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, quiet quitting, the slight edge there. And finally, last one, Barbie versus Oppenheimer. So oddly enough, I have only seen Barbie. Um, and someone going Barbie. I thought it was very, very charming and clever how it was done. I will stop okay, behind. Okay, great. Sure. Yeah. 
All right, there it is. Race situations featuring Nate Silver. And Nate, you did uh, you did figure it out there. Shoei Atani versus Mike Trout was the domination. Okay. I I knew asking. I mean, look, you got you cut your teeth in baseball. I knew that you were going to have a strong opinion on that one. Nate, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. James, Absolutely. any parting words for uh, for Nate? Uh, Nate, congratulations once again on your result in the World Series of Poker. Good luck getting that book finished and look forward to you talking again when it hits the shelves. Awesome. I'll talk to you guys soon. Let's welcome our first super fan of the new season. Ross Lambert, welcome, finally. Postponed from before, but you're here, and that's what matters. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, apologies for the short notice last time. Um, it was a work-related issue. Um, yeah, and I couldn't really avoid it. Um, but yeah, really appreciate you having me on again. Not at all. Let's talk about, not necessarily the work-related issue, but let's talk about your work. What is your deal, bro? Yeah, sure. Um, so I used to be a prison officer. Um, and now I work uh, still in prisons, but uh, kind of ironically um, in uh, IT security. Um, ah, wow. Uh, um, I am I, I am more on the physical side of that, though. Uh, yeah, I, I don't code or anything like that myself. Right. Um, so my, my past experience very much helps with my current role. So what what kind of IT security does a prison need? Um, so I work for a company that provides laptops uh, in cell for prisoners oh, cool. so they can complete, um, you know, dec- uh, undergraduates, they can complete postgraduates, uh, even up to masters, PhDs. So they can really actually make use of their time. Um, so my role is sort of supporting that. Are they uh, are they allowed to listen to poker in the ears or is that considered cruel and unusual punishment? I would imagine they're cruel and unusual. <laughs> you see, this is why you got the mulligan, Ross, because you're out there doing important work. And when yeah. someone has to bin off our little podcast because real life and important stuff comes to the fore, then we are more than willing to make that sacrifice. But as I said, you're here now. Um, outside of your work, what else can you tell us about yourself? Yeah, uh, so I coach uh, martial arts. I used to compete uh, in MMA, uh, play a lot of poker, uh, live and online. Uh, So, yeah, I'm quite lucky with my location where I live in the Midlands. uh, Yeah. 56 minutes from St. Pancras, about an hour from dusk till dawn, 40 minutes from Coventry, where the Goliath just was. Really lucky. So, yeah. That yeah. feels like the exact right distance to be from live poker because you got to be into it to travel an hour, but it's not too far uh, so that you got to make a whole weekend out of it if you're going. Yeah, really, really lucky for a UK location, I think, just being that close to sort of everywhere, but not directly in one of them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So as far as online poker is concerned, we do have a bronze power pass up for grabs as the prize in this Superfan versus Stapes contest, which is themed around the movie Rush, a movie I remember enjoying when I watched on a plane about nine or ten years ago. Um, And Joe, I'm assuming this is a movie you watched when you thought Ross was coming on the first time and have not rewatched since. That is correct. Yes. So I and this is a movie I like squeezed in at like I think one o'clock in the morning. I might have started it, finished it around three thirty in the morning. And um, I will say 
I enjoyed the movie and I found the story to be really interesting, but I also thought the movie was fucking bad. Um, like I liked it and it was really interesting, but I was like really annoyed with it and the way it was put together. And um, luckily, I th- what's what's Baron Zemo's name? Real life. Nicky Lauder. Daniel Brühl. Nikki Louder um, is the character he plays. Yes. Okay. Da- Daniel Daniel Brühl saved this movie. Like is like far and away the best part of this movie. Is awesome. And it's weird that this guy, despite being in some really um, big roles, is not a household name. Is not a name that stays with me because he's a really great actor. Here's my question for you, Ross. A- how much do you know about the real life story? Because Patrick raised a good question, which is the movie's really enjoyable until you start thinking about what was kind of exaggerated for dramatic purposes. Yeah, so the first I'd heard of, of the incident was when I sat down and watched the film, um, right. which was probably about the same time as when you watched it, probably around when it first came out. Uh, but I think it was on BBC One or something, so it was probably a couple of years after. Um and my my nan was really into formula one so i spoke to her about it at the time and she she sort of gave the same idea of the exaggerations and things like that but i think that's just what you have to expect from hollywood you know yes no i think that's fair anytime Um, they tell a real story it's going to be dramatic obviously i've just referenced the fact that patrick watched the movie and compiled a 10 question quiz uh going to start with you as our guest as our super fan ross please give me a number between one and ten We'll go with nine. Number nine. Oh, he's going with oh. your lucky number, Joe. Wow, Ross. Wow, it's like a leather glove across the face. Question nine. <laughs> In which country does Nikki forfeit the race because conditions are too dangerous? Oh. Can I have the options? You can. Is it uh, Germany, Spain, Japan, or South Africa? I'll go Germany. It was Japan. So, Joe, you have the chance to take an early lead. What number would you like? Uh, Ross, what's your lucky number? Seven. I'll take number. It's always coming seven, please. <laughs> what is the name of Nikki's wife? The name of Nikki's wife. I do not know it off the top of my head anymore. I'll take the choices. Is it Marlena, Susie, Jenny, or Maria? I'll go Marlena. You get a point, so you do have a 1-0 lead as we go into the second round. Any number other than 7 or 9, Ross? Go with 1. What is it that James Hunt does before every single race? uh, He smokes a carton of Marlboro Reds and has a wank. (laughs) Not one of the options. The options are (laughs) he drinks a shot of whiskey, he throws up, he rubs his engineer's head. He prays. The only thing there that sounds... I, I mean, I, I can't... None of it rings a bell. And I'll be honest, I haven't watched it since I was meant to appear because I, I didn't want to be a dick, really. But <laughs> um, I'm going to go take a shot of whiskey. No, he throws up before every single race. Yeah, but that's after the shot of whiskey, surely. <laughs> I like Ross's... I like the, I like the way Ross thinks. Um, I'm afraid I'm going to have to go with what's written here. Take it up with Patrick at a later date. You still have yet to put any points on the board. Uh, by the way, always be a dick when there's a 109 ticket on the line. Joe, <laughs> two, three, four, five, six, eight or ten. 
Uh, eight. Let's go to number eight. Number eight. Which driver does Nicky get to test drive his newly modified Formula One car? Which driver does Nicky get to test drive his new... Okay, go ahead. I'll take the choices. Is it Jackie X, Carlos Reutemann, Clay Regazzoni, or Mario Andretti? I remember the name Mario Andretti being in the movie. Let's go with Mario Andretti. It was Clay Regazzoni. Ah, that sounds like a pasta. Call okay. Clay Regazzoni. So two rounds down, Joe still with the one point advantage, but this is very easy for you to come back, Ross. Uh, what number would you like struggling next? There. What number would you like? Uh, 10. Number 10. In which country is James Hunt disqualified from a race for breaking car regulations? Can I have the options? You can. Germany, Brazil, Spain, South Africa. Germany. That's twice you've gone with Germany and twice you've been wrong. It was Spain. <laughs> I'm just going to keep going with it. And that you, you, can't, you have made. to choose Germany next time. That yeah, was there's... the decision yeah. I made. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> when, 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 when the question is about someone's age, I'll give you one of the options is Germany, so you can go for that. Uh, <laughs> Joe, two through six? Three, please. Huh. In what year was Nicky Lauder's famous crash? Jesus Christ. Uh, I'll take the choices. Uh, 1980, 1982, 1984, or 1986? Cool. I would have definitely guessed something in the 70s. So I'm glad I went with the choices. Uh, let's go with 1982. It was 1986. Wow. Uh, two, four, five, or six, Ross? I thought it was 76, Marcel. Quite, quite, uh... That would have been one of the ones I was sure of, but that's weird. Take it up with Patrick when you see him. No problem. Uh, as I said, two, four, five, or six? I'll go with two. two. Who directed the movie? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're just lucky that you got this question because uh, this one, I would have... This would have been a two-pointer. I know the first name, but I'll keep Ron someone, but I'm, my head's Ron. I'm not saying Ron Swanson, but he's the only goddamn name in my head. Take the multiple choice options before you screw it up. Yeah, go, go for that, go for that. Was it Ron Howard, Brett Ratner, Rennie Harlan, or Ryan Coogler? Right, yeah, Ron Howard. Ron Howard from Happy Days. <laughs> um, okay, Joe, four, five, or six. Now, we, we have had a producer weigh in here, by the way. And it was, all those answers all should have been in the 70s. 1976. Oh, this is void and I get a ticket. <laughs> but that's okay, because it was my question. I'll take it. It's all right. The error here. But I did want it to be that uh, Ross was correct. 1976 was correct. All right. Uh, just give me the lowest number available, James. Uh, okay, that will be number four. What was the name of the first Formula One team that James Hunt drove for? Uh, I'll take the choices, please. Okay, was it McLaren, Hesketh, Ferrari, or Red Bull? <laughs> Let's go with Hesketh. Yeah, it was Hesketh for two points. No, one point, one point. 
Oh, you, took the, you did take the options. You're right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, oh, wow. This feels like a sad. We're a little rusty. We look. We're, we've been down for a couple months. It's the season premiere. We gotta. We gotta get the get the locomotion going again. This is this is punishment for me, and I fully understand that. Okay. Do you want question number five, or do you want question number six? <laughs> we'll go with question number five. Which actor plays Nicky Lauda? That is Daniel Brune. It is for two points. Right, so you have a one-point lead. Joe, yeah. if you can get this question without taking the options, you win. Uh-huh. If you take it with the options, you tie the game and we go to the tiebreaker. If you get it wrong, Ross wins. How old was James Hunt when he passed away? I'll have to take the choices. Was he 45, 47, 49, or 51? 45. He was 45, and that means we have a tied game. That means we do go to the tiebreaker. Let's go. To a, to a race. What do they do for a tie in F1? I should probably know that. Tie? Yeah. To tie a race, it's, it's impossible. Okay, fine. There you go. This is not impossible. <laughs> because the, the, the milliseconds now that they can measure it by is... Right. Okay, I'm going to ask a question which has a numerical answer, Ross. You can either go for it or you can get Joe to answer and then you can go above or below the number he gives me. The sure. question is, according to IMDb, what is the worldwide gross of this film? How much money did this movie make at the international box office? Uh, we'll let Joe answer it first. Okay, Joe, give me a number, please. $65.5 million. $65.5 million is Joe's answer. Do you want to go higher or lower than $65.5 million? And I'll remind you, this is the worldwide gross of the film. That's a, that's a very good number from Joe. I feel like it should have done higher, but yeah, we'll go higher. That's my gut feeling. I even gave you the clue. That's the kind of number that movies do at the domestic box office. When you factor in countries like China, you're looking at 327,333,000. So yes, significantly higher than 65.5 million. So that means yeah. in a very low scoring game, which came down to the tiebreaker, you are a winner, Ross. That means you get the t-shirt, you get the mug, Exhibit A, and it means you get the bronze power pass worth one hundred and nine dollars. Amazing! Well, that's, that's really good. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate that. I've been Congratulations, a, Ross. And I guess you have you have the skills to be able to download Poker Stars onto all those uh, laptops in the prison. So that would uh... that would lose me my job immediately. <laughs> so I'll push back against that on air. Thank you. <laughs> Ross, thanks very much for coming on the show, and we'll uh, be in touch and sort out your prizes. Appreciate your time, guys. Thanks very much. All right, my babies. That's just about all the time we have got for our season. 2015 is uh, eight. Eight. Can someone just just write in and tell me what season we're in if we started in 2015? Season premiere, 2023-ish. Late. I don't know. I'm still, we got to work this out. Coming up next time. It's our EPT Barcelona preview show with maybe my newest favorite player. Fabiano Kowalski will be on the show next week. 
We're going to talk to him about last year's amazing final table and looking ahead to our streaming plans for Barcelona 2023. The crown jewel, the 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 season premiere of the what used to be the EPT season, which we don't do anymore. But that old mainstay of Barcelona, tried and true, coming up. And next week is our preview show. Hopefully, we'll have a super fan, Harry yeah. Mansell. Harry, please respond to my DM. Otherwise, I'm going to have to draft someone in at the uh, last moment. But it's all good. Uh, keep the super fan applications coming in. Keep the conversation going on Discord because there are channels dedicated to just talking about the show and other random stuff as well. Link to the Pokestars Discord server in the podcast description. And I've got two more stops. I'm at my parents' house right now. I've got two more stops between now and next Friday when I end up in Barcelona, New York City, and Philadelphia. Hopefully I'll have a couple of good stories to share of those two trips before we finally shove off to Barcelona next week. But for now, that is all the time we have got for this week's show. Until next time, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later.